Chapter 20 of The Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Weird Story The unexpected appearance of a man who was supposed, and with every reason to be dead and buried, was so startling that for a few moments no one could speak. Had it been night-time, those present might well have been excused had they taken the newcomer for a ghost. But a ghost would scarcely reveal itself in broad daylight, supported by two flesh-and-blood mortals. Amazing as it seemed, the one person who was placed in the convenient armchair by his guides was actually the Reverend Simon Lee. His head was bandaged, his face was bloodless, and he appeared to be listless and exhausted. Never was there such a dramatic entrance or such an uncanny situation. Lee! gasped Rupert, hardly able to pronounce the name. Yes, replied the parson, faintly smiling. I am alive, you see. I said he weren't dead, chuckled Ark again, and rubbed his horny hands with comfortable glee, while his grandson Tobias stood mute and grim behind the man who had returned from the other world. Carrington, equally startled, was the first to recover himself entirely. He saw in the reappearance of the clergyman a chance of escape from his dangerous position. You accuse me of murdering Lee, and Lee is alive, he said, regaining swiftly his native impudence. What do you say now, Hindle? Rupert turned his eyes from the vicar to Tollard, whose big face was purple with astonishment. What do you say, doctor? he asked feebly. It's a dream, muttered Tollard, rubbing his eyes. He must be dead. I examined the body. I saw him buried. I gave the certificate of death. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Tollard, murmured Lee with a weak attempt at a smile. But you see, I am still alive. Tobias? The grim man knew what was asked for, and producing a flask of generous proportions administered a stiff dose of brandy to his patient. The ardent spirit made Lee cough, but brought the blood to his cheek and a more lively light into his dim eyes. Also, when he opened his mouth, he spoke with a stronger voice. Yes, I am alive. I was buried by mistake. It's impossible, I tell you, cried the doctor, still struggling with his astonishment. You were as dead as a doornail. So you thought, Tollert. But you were not the first medical man who has mistaken catalepsy for death. Catalepsy? I have been subject to it all my life, but I never told anyone about it, not even you, Tollard. Only Titus knew, and that was why he was what was called my shadow down in the village. I always dreaded being buried alive. Yet you were, said Rupert, staring with all his might at the resuscitated man and wondering if he was asleep or awake. Titus wasn't much good, after all, in spite of his watchfulness. And what could I do, Squire? demanded the ancient shrilly. 
I said as Mr. Lee warn't dead again and again, but none heeded me. If you had used the one word catalepsy, protested Tollert, who was annoyed that Lee should reappear to give the lie to his skill, I should have known what to do. I bain't no scholard, croaked Titus sulkily. I said as Muster Lee warn't dead, and he warn't. On the night of the day when he was buried, me and Tobias got him out of the coffin, and he have been in my house getting well. You should have told me, Titus, expostulated Rupert reprovingly. Now the Lord help me, Squire. Didn't I tell ye times without number? I said as Mr. Lee warn't dead, and you laughed. You know you did, but he warn't dead, he warn't dead and the ancient repeated his favorite phrase again and again with angry gestures. No, he warn't dead, mimicked Carrington, strolling easily toward the door, and now that we know he warn't, I suppose there is no objection to my leaving this pleasant little party. Stay where you are, commanded Lee, in a much stronger voice. It is no thanks to you that I am alive. Stop him, Hindle. Rupert took Carrington by the shoulders and pushed him across the room and into the chair he had vacated. You stay here, he said sternly. Oh, I'll stay if you wish me to, replied Carrington, making a virtue of necessity and shrugging his shoulders contemptuously. You can't get me into trouble now. We'll see about that, replied Lee, who was breathing heavily. I haven't much time to live as the shock of being buried alive has given me my death blow. But I shall live long enough to see that justice is done. Now let me explain what I owe to Mr. Carrington. One moment before you change the subject, remarked Tollert sharply, you told me that you had heart disease. I did, admitted the vicar dryly, but I never allowed you to examine me or you would have found that my heart was perfectly sound. I made that excuse to account for anyone finding me in a cataleptic trance. You should have told me the truth, rejoined the doctor sternly, but that I thought the blow on the head had killed you, along with heart disease, I would have opened your body to be certain of the cause of death, as it was, Mr. Lee, as it were, interrupted the old sexton aggressively, you weren't sober, Muster Tollert, that you weren't. How dare you say that, cried the doctor, flushing angrily. Ah, but I do say it, retorted Titus valiantly. You saw double, you did, and not being sure of your learning, said as Muster Lee wore dead when he weren't. And if you'd tried to cut Muster Lee up, I'd have knocked you down. Yes, I would, and no mistake. It seems to me that we are not getting on very fast, said Carrington lightly yet anxiously, for he desired to get away before Inspector Lawson arrived from Torhaven. Suppose Mr. Lee speaks and relates his experiences in the other world. I shall deal with you later, said Lee meaningly, and with an unpleasant look. You are not going to escape punishment because you failed to carry out your evil design. First, I shall explain about my catalepsy. I have always been afflicted thus, Hindle, he added, turning to the young squire, 
and for that reason I rarely went away from my house. Titus knew that I was subject to these trances, and I always liked to have him at my elbow in case I fell into one. Also, Titus had the key to my family vault, so as to rescue me should I be buried alive by any chance. The blow on the head did not kill me outright, although it was severe enough very nearly to do so. I was stunned for the time being, and then passed into a trance. Owing to the warm weather, unfortunately for me, I was buried hastily, else I might have recovered. You were as dead as any man could be, persisted Tollert sullenly, for the revival annoyed him beyond measure. I was not yet, although you, in your confused state, thought so. And you were confused with drink, Tollard, as Titus assures me. Let this be a warning to you, my friend, to abandon this vice, as you may not so easily escape again from dooming a man to a terrible death. Tollard tried to speak, but could not, as he knew very well that he was entirely in the wrong, and that the consequences of his too hurried examination of the body might be serious for him. He stammered, stuttered, and turned very white, then walked silently out of the room. He had received a lesson which he would not easily forget. Rupert started forward to stop him, but Mullen, who had been too startled to speak hitherto, laid a detaining hand on his arm. The man was nervous and less aggressive than usual, which was not to be wondered at considering what had taken place. Let him go, Rupert, he muttered. We can deal with this matter among ourselves. I want to hear now how Mr. Lee was rescued from his terrible position. Titus rescued me, said Lee thankfully. On the night of the day when I was buried, he came with Tobias to the vault. He had the key, as I said before, in case of such an accident. These two, he jerked his head right and left toward his supporters, unscrewed the coffin and carried me into their house, which is, as you know, near the churchyard. Gradually I revived from my trance, but suffered greatly from the blow in the head which confused me. Feeling that I was not myself, and knowing that serious matters had to be dealt with, I ordered Titus and his grandson not to say anything about my being alive. Since the day of my burial I have been hidden in that little cottage, and Titus has nursed me back to health. But I fear, ended the vicar plaintively, that I shall not live long. The shock has killed me. Well, at all events, said Carrington coolly, I didn't kill you. Indirectly you have, said Lee indignantly, and I shall have you punished before I die. That is a nice Christian feeling, I must say, retorted Carrington uneasily. Men such as you are, who go about attempting murder, should be locked up, was the stern reply. You intended to kill me. I did not. I intended to stun you and thought I had done so, protested Carrington sullenly. No one was more astonished than I was. When I heard next day from Hindle there that you were dead, I thought the heart disease had killed you. I had no heart disease and... We all know about that, interrupted Mullen restlessly. 
but tell us how that scoundrel managed to knock you down give me another dose of brandy tobias said the vicar and when he felt stronger after taking the spirit proceeded slowly to explain i was in my study on that night and as it was after ten o'clock mr and mrs jabber had retired to rest i had found the will which i had mislaid and was reading it when i heard a tap at the window i don't know about your reading it said carrington insolently as i watched you for some time through the window before i tapped you were holding a parchment over a candle i believe that you intended to burn the will perhaps i did said the vicar with a queer smile there is more to be known about that will than you guess at all events when i heard your tapping on the glass i blew out the candle and put down the will i opened the window you know it is a french window hindle and looked out to see who had come at such an untimely hour when i recognized you and you intimated that you wished to speak to me i admitted you i believed that you had come down to stay with hindle and had arrived late did you lock the window again after admitting carrington asked rupert i snicked it certainly replied lee quietly not that doing so mattered for as there was nothing to steal at the vicarage i paid little attention to bolts and bars carrington laughed cynically and for that reason i was able to slip out the front door and leave it unlocked without exciting suspicion he remarked it was easy to get away very easy assented mr lee the front door was never locked either by day or by night as i did not fear burglars and i did not fear you mr carrington as you said that rupert had told you about the will and you wished to speak to me concerning it oh you were brave enough retorted the barrister carelessly well i think you had better be less flippant my man cried mullen highly indignant you are not out of the woods yet there's gratitude for what i have done for you sneered carrington but for my appearance at the window the vicar might have burned the will so as to allow hindle to keep the property yes i might have burnt the will as you say remarked lee with another queer smile and perhaps it would have been as well seeing what an excellent squire our young friend here makes and what about me asked mullen indignantly you are not fit to govern the parish said lee coolly you think of self and of self only well the will is safe in my desk now said mullen complacently and self or no self i will be squire of barship as soon as the lawyers can arrange for the transfer of the property you count your chickens before they are hatched mr mullen there is much to be said before you step into your cousin's place i don't see that said mullen doggedly rupert knows that i inherit by the will you found in the monument chest as i am the legal descendant of eunice hindle he makes no objection to giving me the property is this so hindle inquired the vicar yes answered rupert quietly i can scarcely keep what does not legally belong to me you will be a pauper i can't help that i must act honestly 
Lee was silent for a moment and cast a look of admiration on the young man. You shame us all by your honorable nature, he said after a pause. I am glad that I am spared to do you justice. What do you mean by that? asked Carrington curiously. Never mind what I mean. I shall explain in due time. Just now I have to tell these gentlemen of the cowardly assault you made on an old man. Lee turned toward Rupert, to whom he chiefly addressed himself. He held me in talk, Handel, and all the time he was keeping his eyes on the will. I refused to let him take it away, as he wanted to do. I only wish to look after Hindle's interest, muttered Carrington. To look after your own, you mean, retorted Lee tartly. Had you meant well, you would have gone away after I refused to give you the will. But you waited until my back was turned and then struck me with the loaded stick you carried. The blow fell on my right temple and I dropped stunned to the floor while you, while I, cried Carrington, rising and speaking insolently, snatched up the wheel and walked out of the front door cautiously, so as not to waken those servants of yours. After which, put in Mullen viciously, you went through the jungle and buried the wheel under the sundial. I did, admitted Carrington recklessly. You know so much that you may as well know all. For Lee being alive, you cannot touch me in any way. I buried the will, as you say, and afterward wrote that letter to Mrs. Beetson so that she might find the will and avert suspicion from myself. Why Mrs. Beetson? asked Rupert, disgusted with his former friend's brazen assurance. Because according to you, she had overheard the conversation between you and the vicar. I guessed that, if she produced the will, suspicion would fall on her. Our meeting her on that night, Hindle, was pure chance, but it helped on my plans. I wished her to procure the will to you, and thus bring suspicion on herself as having killed the vicar. You infernal villain! Oh, I don't see that, said Carrington carelessly. Mrs. Beetson would be none the worse for having her neck stretched, but I would not have allowed things to go so far as that. All I wished was for her to give you the will, and then when you consulted me, as I knew you would, I intended to persuade you to burn it in order to keep the property and pay me five thousand pounds for holding my tongue. You understand? Yes, said Rupert quietly. You explain your villainy so carefully that I can scarcely help understanding. It was you, then, who dropped a clue near the sundial to incriminate Mullen. It was me, replied Carrington, with cynical hardihood. I snatched the opal by chance from Mullen's watch-chain when we struggled in the avenue. Only when I got away and found what was in my hand did I see how I could get the upper hand of him. I recognized the ornament at once as the one he had shown me on the first day we met. You scoundrel, shrieked Mullen furiously, and would have struck the barrister, but that he swerved. Then Rupert interfered. He will have a much worse punishment than a blow, said the squire, holding his cousin back with a strong arm. I won't have any punishment at all, sneered Carrington insistently. 
It is for me to say that, remarked Lee, who was growing very weak in spite of the dose of brandy which Tobias administered. So you met Mr. Marlin in the avenue of my place after you had buried the will? I did. There is no reason why I should deny it, seeing that I am safe, and when I got away from him I walked to the next station and caught the night express from Tarhaven, which does not stop at Barship. Next day, you came down to play the part of a friend, said Rupert scornfully, but you soon showed the cloven hoof, Carrington. Your plot was very clever, and had I been a less honest man, it would have succeeded. It never would have succeeded, interposed the vicar, speaking with labored breath, for I was alive all the time and intended to speak when necessary as I have done. Titus kept me informed of all that went on. Aye, that I did, said the old man, patting Lee's hand, and they'll find in the village, as the olden don't tell lies and bain't no fool either. I told em as you were alive, didn't I, Muster Lee? Yes, Titus, yes, but I think you will very soon have to tell them that I am dead, said Lee with a weak sigh. After all, it is for the best. I shall never regain my health after that awful experience, and as my successor has been appointed, it would be wrong of me to deprive him of the living. Don't trouble about that, Lee, remarked Rupert, bending over him. You shall stay here and be nursed back into health again. I'll see that you are all right for the future. You are a good man, Hindle, but if you knew... He stopped abruptly and drew away his hand which the squire had taken. But that I can speak of another time. Meanwhile, we must finish dealing with this gentleman. Do you mean me? asked Mullen, who felt uneasy because he had an idea that the resuscitated man had, as the saying goes, something up his sleeve. I don't mean you at present, replied the vicar eyeing him with an expression of intense dislike. I shall attend to your matter later. What matter? That, said Lee slowly, I shall tell you in my own good time. You are very mysterious. Oh, I think all mysteries are at an end now, interposed Rupert hastily, for Mullen showed a tendency to make himself disagreeable in spite of the vicar's weak state of health. We now know that Carrington did come to Barship and did strike down Mr. Lee. Who cares if you do know? retorted Carrington insolently. Not me. I have played a bold game and have lost, thanks to your confounded honesty. If you had been wise, you would have destroyed that will and would have kept your money to yourself. At the cost of losing my honor said Rupert, flushing. Poof! Who cares for honor in these days? Apparently you don't, you beast, cried Mullen, who was desperately angry at the way in which Carrington had proposed to cheat him. How dare you speak in this way? I'll have you charged with fraud. Fraud! Carrington laughed aloud and snapped his fingers. And how do you intend to do that, my good man? Don't call me your good man, confound you. Well, I won't, sneered the barrister. 
It is rather a mistake to credit you with any goodness, I admit. You're no more a saint than I am, and would have played the same game had you got the chance. My only regret is that I have not rooked you to the tune of five thousand pounds. And but for the vicar's unexpected appearance, I should have done so. Not you. Oh, yes. You were at the vicarage on the night of the presumed murder, and I had your opal which I dropped near the sundial. If I had held my tongue, as I would have done, you would have been hard put to explain your presence there, seeing what John Hindle's will meant to you. And you, and you, shouted Mullen furiously. How would you have escaped suspicion seeing you came down on that night? Very easily, retorted the barrister in a light and airy tone. I would have declared that I came down in Hindle's interest to get the will, and arrived at the vicarage to find you leaving the house after murdering the man. Oh! Mullen rushed forward. Let me at him, Rupert, dog that he is. I want to strangle him. And be hanged for the murder of a worthless creature, said Rupert, holding Mullen tightly to prevent his executing his intention. Leave him to Mr. Lee. I rather think he knows how to deal with him. Oh, do you? snapped Carrington, wheeling with a contemptuous smile on his dark face. And what do you propose to do, may I ask? I propose said the vicar whom he addressed, to have you arrested for a murderous assault on me. As a lawyer, Mr. Carrington, you probably know how many years you will get for a contemplated crime. Carrington drew pale and looked nervous. I never intended to kill you, he muttered sullenly, and, as you are alive and well, I am alive certainly, but scarcely well, said the vicar faintly. All the same, it is no thanks to you that I am not dead. You assaulted me and you robbed me. So you shall suffer. I shan't, and Carrington made a dash for the door, only to be caught by the squire who held on to him grimly. You shall, said Rupert stolidly, as soon as Lawson arrives, and he may be here at any minute, Lee will give you in charge for assault and robbery. Handel, you wouldn't see me disgraced in that way, pleaded Carrington, who suddenly saw an abyss open at his feet. If I am arrested, I will be ruined. Hendel released the miserable man and stood back, rather incautiously as it afterward proved. You would have ruined me, he said sternly, so why should you not be done by as you intended to be done by others? There's scripture authority for that, grunted old Ark, grinning toothlessly. Carrington, now at bay, looked round and saw that everyone was against him, so that there was no hope of mercy. He covered his face with his hands and staggered against the wall near the door. For a moment there was silence, for although neither Mullen nor Lee pitied the scoundrel, Rupert, having an unusually tender heart, did so. Perhaps the feeling that the man was his old schoolfellow induced him to give Carrington a chance of escape. But be this as it may, when the barrister sobbing near the door suddenly opened it and dashed out, Rupert made no immediate effort to stop him. Mullen did, 
Stop, thief! Stop, liar! Stop, murderer! He vociferated and followed. Rupert was thus compelled to pursue the culprit, although he did so reluctantly. The two came to the door to see Carrington running down the avenue and dashed after him. The barrister flew like the wind and speedily outdistanced his pursuers. But he was not to escape after all, for, as he reached the open gates of the avenue, Kit's motor car, containing Lawson, swept round the corner. Running blindly, Carrington tripped and fell under the machine. The wheels passed over him, breaking his back. He was picked up stone dead. End of chapter 20